Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Well, uh, I have a movie I like, although it's silly. Uh, It's called Talladega Nights. And in Talladega Nights, the actor Will Ferrell plays a NASCAR driver named Ricky Bobby. And one of the more famous scenes in Talladega Nights is when Ricky Bobby prays for a meal his family's having. And he closes his eyes and he prays, Dear baby Jesus, in your diapers and golden fleece, I thank you for this feast of Taco Bell and Kentucky Fried Chicken and Doritos. And he goes on and on, including a lot of inappropriate things I won't mention at the moment. And his wife then interrupts him to complain about the prayer, everyone pointing out that Jesus did grow up. And Ricky Bobby's response is, but I like the Christmas Jesus best. And I'm not sure that's too far off the way most of us feel sometimes. The prayer is meant to be funny, but there's a note of truth in it too, because we come to church on the first Sunday in Advent, and we really like, we really like the Christmas Jesus best. Because truth be told, Jesus becomes more complicated, more revolutionary, especially in texts like Our gospel today where the adult Jesus speaks of signs and storms and chaos and confusion and then kind of close to home addresses head-on the typical human response when such things as all this chaos take place and warns us about parties and drinking and shopping. Good text for Thanksgiving weekend, don't you think? Unfortunately, this Jesus says, too much of it leads to a dulling of your sharp expectation. That same passage in the Common English Bible, which is the one I use at home, includes these words. Take care that your hearts aren't dulled by the anxieties of day-to-day life. In our reading today, the ominous sign of distress among the nations, chaos among the nations, points back to earlier verses in Luke 21 where Jesus actually names the reality of wars and earthquakes and famines and plagues. And I think we hear such warnings with our current pandemic and all the political tensions in mind. But in the original context, or at least what remains of it in Luke's gospel, the crowd is also wondering in their time about the world seeming to fall apart around them. Life is fragile. And even that which seems most secure to them all, the temple in Jerusalem, will one day fall into rubble, predicts this unsettling adult Jesus. And filled with their own fear and hope and anxiety, the disciples ask him, Teacher, when, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And that's when he launches into all the chaos. He doesn't give them a specific answer to their question. Very typical 
adult Jesus behavior, but he instead gives them another kind of answer to look to him. He describes the chaos of life, the fragility of life, and then he says, stand up. Stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He encourages his followers to rise from slumber, to move from persistent self-fixation and anxiety, to stand up, to stand firm, to get on their feet and look to the one who is to come. This is no baby Jesus, meek and mild. This is Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, ready to do battle with the powers of sin and evil and death at work in the world and who calls us to do the same. We arrive on the first Sunday of Advent 2021 with our practiced gratitude intact. The reasons to give thanks this year are very close to home. In her acclaimed novel called Home, Marilyn Robinson writes, there's so much to be grateful for. Words are poor things. But we try. We're here. We are alive. We can see one another face to face. These days to be doing fine is to be doing pretty well. Our young people are back on campus or working or going out with friends. Our children and babies are back to school and childcare. Most of us can travel again and venture from our homes. There is much to be thankful for, and words are poor things. And yet, I think most of us could say our hearts have been dulled by daily anxieties, at least some of the time. And those self-medicating strategies of eating, drinking, shopping, and binge-watching, which will always fall short of convincing us that everything is going to be okay. So today we gather as people of faith while our culture is in full-blown Christmas, we gather to recognize the start of the Christian year, Advent. We gather to invigorate the sharp expectation of hope that Jesus calls us to carry into the world, for it is finally Advent which means the coming and we are preparing for both the nativity of Jesus at Christmas and the final completion and redemption of the world. Before we meet the baby Jesus, we hear the adult Jesus preach. And as we begin Advent with the little apocalypse in Luke 21, we remember how far from home we are. The world is not as it should be. Many have lost their physical homes, many feel alone, and many are isolated. Many of us feel as if we're wandering with no clear way forward, or someone we care about is wandering. This first week speaks to that deep longing we have for our home and our world to be made whole, to be made right and to be made well. With deep longing, we watch for God. And how does that deep longing intersect? with deep hope. In the text from 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to a Gentile community who had quite recently left pagan gods and practices for the worship of the God of Jesus Christ. 
Paul had a close relationship with these Christians, and he was worried that their troubles would cause them to leave the church that he had founded there. So Paul's words to them are full of love and prayer and thanksgiving, written in the context of relationship. Paul thinks of faith not as an individual thing, but life in community and in relationships, and he longs to see them in person. This part always reminds me of Pastor Lindsay throughout this whole pandemic, writing notes to you, writing notes to me, conveying in a few words that God loves us, that God is here, that we are not alone. And it's that kind of pastor's heart that Paul carries in his letters encouraging them throughout the letter to hold up in adversity that these times call for resilience and hope and the capacity to be expanded within us and among us to love even more than we're already doing, to love not only one another, but everyone. You can hear in his words that Paul almost sounds homesick to finally see them in person. When we feel homesick, what is it exactly that we long for? Is it peace? Is it safety or security or loved ones to be with us again? Is it familiar and predictable terrain? What is our community homesick for? Justice, reconciliation, an end to poverty and homelessness? A home for everyone? A world where black and brown lives matter? A time when we thought plague was a thing of the past? And what are the collective homesicknesses we hold within ourselves? Former moderator of the Presbyterian Church, Elder Villa Marie Cintron Olivier, reflects on Hurricane Maria, which hit Puerto Rico in 2017, if you remember. She said the news footage of that massive Category 4 storm contrasted with her memories of growing up on the island, that her heart at that time, even though she was on the mainland, was on the seafront in old San Juan. She said the storm passed and we anxiously awaited news from our families on the island that homesickness crept in as we were far from our loved ones and wanted to be close to them in their moment of need. And days later, Days later, that silence was finally broken by the buzz of a text message which said, Estamos bien. We're okay. And those two words were for her, hope in the midst of chaos. Those words were home. We live in a fragile world. It is a world filled with crises and disasters and injustices. And thankfully, Jesus enters this world offering words not of foreboding, but of hope to a homesick people that felt far away from God and longed to be close to kin in the middle of the crisis. Stand up and raise your heads, he said. Because your redemption, your redemption is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know the kingdom of God is near. What a thing to say. Kingdom, that interconnected community, that seeing God's movement emerge from la familia, the family that God makes, that God is close. Those are words of hope for a homesick world. Those words are home. One collective homesickness 
this congregation shares is the longing for a settled pastor. I've heard people say that three years is an awful long time to be between pastors. As we review our membership roles, I hear stories of those who left when a former associate pastor left or a head of staff left, and it was just too hard to remain. I hear the homesickness. Though I feel like we have been real pastors in this time between pastors, I understand the longing for someone to be here permanently. A desire to be out of this liminal time. And as we enter Advent, the good news is that you are almost there. It reminds me of a time where I felt homesick 20 years ago now when our tra family traveled from Florida to northeastern Ohio for my husband Tom to candidate at John Knox Church in North Olmsted and to look for a new home. I was 33 years old with four boys under six, and I was not seeking a call at the time. Mostly I was just seeking sleep at the time. That was like paradise. I can almost touch it even now. The plan for us, anyway, was to go to church on the Saturday before Tom preached and to be planted in the same place for two hours in the fellowship hall while members lined up to meet us, and the kids were in the nursery. We had come from this loving church in Fort Myers, Florida. We were coming home, in a sense, back to Cleveland, where we were both from. But even so, I already missed the home we'd made together in Florida for three and a half years when he served as associate pastor. I loved our grapefruit and lemon trees in the backyard, the year-round outdoor pool only a few blocks away, and my favorite beach where we spent his day off each week. I felt homesick for the friends I had carefully made, other young mothers and older women, and our small group at church. I knew it would take a lot of energy to make new friends, and I knew I had very little energy to give. I don't remember much about that day, but I do remember how I felt. A bit nervous, overwhelmed, a little sad, a little awed. The warm welcome of these strangers. Everyone who stopped by had their picture taken with a Polaroid camera. Remember those? <laughs> And someone thoughtfully put each one in a photo album that we still have today and note, noted the names beside each picture, and I'm sure there was cake. But a lot has changed since then. Though a few people had cell phones in 2001, we weren't among them. No one was posting our photo on social media or looking us up on Google. We didn't find a house that weekend, despite a lot of looking, so my in-laws looked after we left on our behalf, and we patiently waited in Florida for them to develop the pictures at Walgreens and put them in the big manila envelope and send them to us so we could review them and say, okay, I guess we'll buy that house that we've never seen. We're still in the house, by the way. He's still at the church. All is well. But we live now in an era of instant communication, and the way we meet new pastors has changed, too. Just like always, we do the mission study, and we elect a pastoral nominating committee, and we get approval by the presbytery, and nothing's final till the congregation votes. And to protect our candidates from untimely revelations in their home congregation, we hold that information carefully. 
So next week when you come to service, you will get the information when you arrive or you'll read it online that morning if you're online. This is the time for all of us to stand up and to stand firm together, to continue to answer God's call to make Fairmount an inclusive and vibrant spiritual home and to provide actual home for those in need through our outreach. And we need you for all of it. We need each other as well to face the daily anxieties that threaten to undo us, the grief that lingers, the emptiness we sometimes fill in ways that will never satisfy. The antidote to our hearts becoming dull is to encourage. And that's based on that French word for heart, poor. Encourage, courage to strengthen, to put heart strength in someone else, just as Jesus encouraged his followers to look for him in the storms and in the chaos, just as he told them that salvation is at hand. We encourage one another to do the same. We strengthen one another's hearts so they don't get dull. I read a message by Bishop Stephen Charleston to his beloved congregation, and my heart skipped a beat. For this is exactly what it feels like for me, and I think for Pastor Lindsay too, to stand before you to often feel vulnerable and uncertain about what happens next, but also to be deeply grateful, able to see where the Spirit is leading, but knowing we will not, cannot take the journey by ourselves. I want to end with his sentiments, for these are my words too. We need you. All of us who labor together in the far fields of the sacred, in the narrow streets where justice is seldom seen, in the shadowlands between hope and resignation, we need you. We need your determination not to quit. We need your sense of humor, your wisdom grown from experience, your willingness to share what you have. When you must step away from us, you are missed. When you come through the door, you are like good news walking. We need you and are ever grateful that you have made this community your home. Oh, come, oh, come. Emmanuel. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.